baby girl, baby boy growing up. And uh, she is now, you know, she's a strong to young lady. She's a strong oh, absolutely. young lady. Absolutely. Absolutely, Miss Collette. All right. Any other praise item? So for today, just like I have a notebook and a pen, there's a lot of stuff that we will go through. And if you're taking notes, it's a, it's a great message um, that God is trying to, you know, speak to all of us today morning. And uh, as we go into uh, any other praise or a prayer item before we go into the Word. Amen. Father God. The conference has been muted. We come before your throne of grace one more time this morning. I just pray, Father, that you will just like speak to us today in a special way. Let the word sink in in our minds and in our hearts, Father God. God, we just wanted to surrender all the prayer requests that were offered today, Father God. We pray that it will become like a an incense that you would just like a smell right now, Father, from your throne room. God, I just pray that, that, you know, the heaviness of heart, Father God, be lightened up because the Bible says that, Father God, you will clothe us with the garment of praise for the heaviness of heart. Father, if there is anyone on this line that is just like, a, you know, fighting or with their own self and in their minds. Father, I pray that you will just like a give a relief right now, that you would just like, a, you know, calm, because the Bible says do not be anxious about anything, but in everything let your request be made known to God with the prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. God, this morning, I pray that you will guard each and every one of our hearts and our minds. Have we send this time into your mighty hands. You take the glory and honor. In Jesus' name I pray, Father, for your glory. Amen. Amen. This morning. Um, the topic for this morning is actually an extension to all the meditation that we've been doing on the Lord's Prayer and everything um, that we've learned on like the, the structure, the the pattern and things like that that, that we, we saw like a six, seven weeks that we went through reading the Lord's Prayer. Today morning, I wanted to pick this apart a little bit because God the God whom we serve is is a prayer answering God, right? And sometimes, uh, you know, we feel like, God, I really need some prayers to be answered. God, there's like, God, where are you? Are you listening to me? God, I've been praying over this very same thing again and again. It doesn't seem to move. God, are, uh, you, you know, are you, are you not just like a listening God? You know? So we come into this kind of a situation with God, or sometimes we say like, God, I need an answer now. I need the fire to come down now and burn right now in front of me. 
I've heard one of the preachers, one of the amazing men of God from India, who's, who's you know, um, you know, spent the most of his life uh, preaching the word, and thousands and thousands of people have given their life to Christ. And towards the end of his journey, somebody was interviewing him, and he said, like, a, I have a regret. And, and uh, you know, the man says, like, what is it? And he says, like, I have seen in the word so many miracles that God raised the dead from, uh, and God just like brought the fire from heaven, or God did this, or God did that. I've seen all in the word, but I've not seen it in my own life, on my eyes. Right? I was thinking to myself, the very fact that you don't see those miracles is a miracle by itself. Sometimes we really don't need miracle. If you need a miracle, if you are praying for a miracle, know this for sure, you need a problem. You need a problem that's so big that God had to swing his wand to get this problem resolved. The, the, the absence of miracle is a miracle itself. Meaning that if God has your life together, God has your children together, God has your, your uh, work life together, God has like your um, you know, housing situation together, you don't need to strive for some of these things. You, you know, the fact that you have all those things and that you don't have a drama in your life itself is a miracle. Sometimes it's really hard to go through life when everything that you're facing is a problem and a trouble and that uh, you feel like a down. And so this morning, we're going to look at the, some of the things. And this message, if I don't finish it today, I'm not worried. Uh, we can come back to it next week as well. But if you have your Bible, turn with me to James chapter 5. We'll start from here, and then we will go into a couple of places in First Kings. James chapter 5, I'm going to read from verses 13 through 18. It says, is anyone among you suffering? Is there anyone, this is what the James, the brother of Jesus is saying, is there anyone among you suffering? If we were listening to him, or if we have a conversation with him, we would have asked James, what kind of question is this? Is anyone among you suffering? We all are, like a Ms. Colette gave a list of people that doesn't have housing or running around without housing. Or we've heard, like this morning, about like the sicknesses and, and the help that we need. So we all have like a different forms of like, a, you know, challenges and trials in this life. And the answer for him is very simple. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. We miss this. And I know that when we were there in Billy Graham's house, we did this a little bit, but they do miss this kind of like a worship 
these days where the elders come and put an oil on your head and pray over you. The, in the olden days, like, a, you know, this was very traditional for the elders to just like a bless the younger ones with the oil anointing. And you may say like, a, brother, I don't have anyone. I don't have anyone who can come and I put the oil in my in my forehead and pray over. Here's the thing. You are the 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 priest. You are the elder. You are the one God has called you to be sitting with him in the throne room. And you and I can actually take the oil and put it on our own head and pray over us. Just like a Jabez, when he was praying, he was saying to God, God, expand my territory. He was praying for himself. And so this morning, if you are sick and you don't have an elder that can come and pray for you, don't worry about it. You know, always, always put like a, an oil, uh, take a drop of oil and put it on your forehead and put your hand upon yourself and start to pray for yourself. And here's what I would say. We don't need to go buy this expensive, you know, anointed oil that people are selling. Right? We don't need any of those things. You know, go to a grocery store, buy some olive oil, put your hand upon that oil, bless the oil, and use that. Right now, that oil that you got from the grocery store is already anointed, and you can use it. And, and the thing is that if your kids are sick, if there are situations in your life that uh, is really difficult for you to handle, you know, either you need prayer for yourself or you need prayer for your husband, you need prayer for your uh, son or daughter, you need prayer for your brother or sister, always, always have oil at your disposal because that kind of worship, that kind of prayer is missing these days. We have to go back to those basics. And that's what James is talking about. He says, let them pray over him, anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. That's all we need to do. When we bless somebody, when we pray over somebody, all we need to do is just like a put of oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sin, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. All this Bible teaching that James is doing is very simple. He's saying that, that when you are sick, when you are suffering, when you need something from that, that's beyond your control, and you're expecting a fire to come down from heaven, the God who sent the fire 2,000 years ago is still alive, and he can still send the fire amongst you. A couple of weeks ago, I was just like a, Telling that in a Friday night as I was praying, as I was praying, I heard this singing sound of this, this um, you know, chandelier 
that is just like a, above my head, and it was just clinging the whole time. And I was just like opening one of my eyes to see if this is about to fall on my head. Right? But it was just like a clinging. It was just like a moving. It was shaking. And then after I finished prayer, everything calmed down and nothing moves afterwards. What am I saying? The God whom we worship is still alive and he can still send the same power, that dynamo power that turned the water into wine is still alive. It's just hard to believe because when we pray to this Father for the righteous things, he is very much alive in giving you and me what we need. And especially when you're praying for somebody else, then that is a righteous ask. It is, you don't have any personal gain from that. When you have no personal gain and you're just like a praying over somebody, God is so pleased. And he's going to give because it is act of righteousness. Especially when you're praying for a friend, especially when you're praying for a family member or someone that you don't even know, right? That's the act of righteousness. And then it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. This morning, I wanted to go back to this very same thing. We have done this study so many times, but I think it is very apt for us to do it this morning. I want us to go to First Kings, right, chapter chapter eighteen, and we're going to linger on verses, you know, uh, twenty through thirty-nine. First Kings, chapter eighteen. 20 to 39. It's talking about a man named Elijah who lived 2,900 years ago in the 9th century BC. And it's talking about something that happened on that day. So let's go to 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 20 to 39. 1 Kings chapter 18 verses 20 to 39. And we're just going to read this, and then we're going to jump over a couple of places. Okay. So Ahab sent all of the children to, of uh, children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. Okay. So here we're talking about Mount Carmel and Elijah, right? Mount Carmel is a place, it's a beautiful place where it overlooks this this amazing waterfront. There's a mountain and the other side is like a waterfront, right? And here, why did these guys come to this mountain this particular day, okay? So we have to understand the context behind all of these things. And... uh, 
unless we understand the context, it's very hard. And this is the guy that James 5:17 says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain. That's the verse, right? So keep that verse in the back of your mind. And so when we read about Elijah, Elijah had the same kind of problems you and I had. That's why it says he was a man with a nature like ours, right? And here we see Elijah goes through frustration in this chapter. If you read even before this, uh, you can start with the first time Elijah gets introduced. It is the first Kings, chapter 17. That's when Elijah, verse 1, Elijah gets introduced. And then the next couple of verses, when you see in his life he had frustration. In his life he had disappointments. In his life he had tragedy. In his life he had need for food. In his life he had fear. Right. So all the things that we go through, he had all in full length. Right. And when we read throughout the Bible, we have stories after stories like Elijah and David and Daniel. Uh, and the reason why God has placed them in the Word of God is because the Holy Spirit wants to teach you and me certain truths about this in real life. If your faith is tested, then we should be reading about Abraham. Right? And think about all the things that he went through. If you, if you lose courage and your courage is tested, we should read about the story of Esther. Uh, if our dreams are crashed and burned, then we should read about the story of Joseph. So God has placed all these stories in the Word so we can follow their lives and get answers when we are lost. Uh, if God can use them, he can use you and me as well. So these stories are out there to encourage, inspire, and teach. So that's why today we're going to look at this very carefully, this story. I've only read one verse so far in the first Kings chapter 18, verses 20. Right? Now, in order to understand that one verse, we have to go back um, two more chapters. So if you're already there in 1 Kings 18, it's much easier now because we're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 29 to 33. Because in that 18th verse, that the 18th chapter we saw, it's talking about the man named Ahab. So if we see that name Ahab, we have to know a little bit about this guy, Ahab, who he is, right? In verse 29 of 1 Kings chapter 16, 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 29, it says, Ahab, son of Omri, began to rule over Israel in the 38th year of King Asa's reign in Judah, and he reigned in Samaria, 22 years. Okay. So, now, again, we need to parse this a little bit. In this time, in this particular time in the history, the, the kingdom of Israel was broken into two parts. There is a northern kingdom and there is a southern kingdom. And 
the northern kingdom um, was ruled by King Ahab, while the southern kingdom was ruled by King Asa. That's what this 29th verse is saying. Right? The next verse, it says, But Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight, even more than any of the kings before him. And as though it is not, it were not enough to follow the sinful example of Jeroboam, he married Jezebel, the daughter of the king of Etbal, of Sidonians, and he began to bow down in worship of Baal. So let's break this even further now, right? So we saw Ahab is a son um, of Omri. We know he is a king of a northern kingdom. And uh, um, here is the verse 30 saying, He did what was evil in the Lord's sight even more than any king before him. What could have this guy done even more, right? Ahab, if we look at this line of like a king, Ahab actually was the seventh king of the northern kingdom, right? And so there are some precedents that have already been set. But the verse 31 giving the examples of like a why he was so evil. It says that as though it were not enough to follow the simple example of Jeroboam. Okay, who is this guy, Jeroboam, that it's talking about? You don't need to turn, but it's in First Kings chapter 12, verses 26 to 30. Here's what happens. You have the kings. You have like a King Saul, he started off with, and then he did some bad things, and then God had to replace him with King David. And King David was doing really good, and then he fell into some things with Bathsheba and comes out of it. But he was always like considered as a man of God's own heart. In fact, when King David was running the, the nation of Israel, it was one nation, right? One big, giant nation. But then comes Solomon, the third king, and when he came into existence, in the initial period, Solomon was really good. He was praying. He was asking God for wisdom. He was doing all those kind of things. But as things started to progress, like his pride kicked in. And, and he started to accumulate wealth uh, in his kingdom. He started to get like all the gold and silver, and he was accumulating them in his house. Right? He was accumulating so much so, he was taxing the people to give out their money. He was taxing the people to give their gold. He was just like almost like a land grabbing. He was just taking out of people. But when Solomon died, the next set of kings was Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Those are two guys. The one guy starts with the J, and the other guy starts with R. Right? So Jeroboam was the king of the northern kingdom, 
And this is the first time the kingdom of Israel splits into two. And the northern kingdom was led by Jeroboam, and the southern kingdom was led by Rehoboam, the guy with the R, right? Now, the, the, when they split, the northern kingdom had ten tribes, and the southern kingdom had two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, as the two tribes of the southern kingdom. Now, what happened is that the city of Jerusalem is like a considered like a major deal in this point in time, and this is where like a Jesus was crucified, and a lot of uh, attention to the detail later comes into play. And, and and the thing is that Jerusalem was part of the southern kingdom, right? And so the king, the Jeroboam, the one with the J, decides, oh, if I just don't create something for these guys to be entertained for their spiritual spirituality, then they're going to run down to Jerusalem and worship God there. And so what he does. This is what the first Kings chapter 12 is talking about, 26 to 30. It's talking about like a, how he created a golden calf and having people start to worship. So let me come back and talk about all the things that I've said so far very quickly because a lot of information that I'm throwing. Number one, Ahab, that's the king. He's part of the northern kingdom. And he has done a lot of evil things. And God is explaining to us what kind of evil thing, right? And he is actually referring to, in this verse, in chapter 16, about this king named Jeroboam, who did a lot of bad things. And the bad things that he did was this. He created an image of God uh, for the people to worship, this golden calf, right? And the thing is that um, he also taxed the people even more for those who are not worshiping this golden calf. So uh, what happened is this, that he created in two major cities, Bethel and Dan, and, and, and tells them to go worship them. Don't go to Jerusalem. Right? Uh, and this is not... Um, very new kind of worship for the children of Israel because when they were coming out of uh, Egypt, they even worshipped this golden calf that Aaron made when Moses went to speak to God. Right? So turning uh, away from God is what this Jeroboam was doing. And the Bible says Ahab was no less. It, he even considered them as a trivial thing. He actually was glorifying this fact of worshiping foreign gods, idols, right? And not only that, he just married to this woman named Jezebel. Jezebel is actually like a symbol of like a cruel kind of like a woman, right? Even today, they say like, oh, ah, she's the modern day Jezebel, meaning like a She's so like, a, you know, um, a prideful and angry and uh, dominating and so on and so forth. So here, this man, Ahab, King Ahab, marries this girl because 
uh, he wants to make amends or a friendship with the Phoenician Empire. So because he, he is getting married to her, he now starts to worship the god of Jezebel. And the god of Jezebel is called Baal, B-A-A-L, Baal. Right? And not only that, King Ahab, because he wants to please his wife, he builds an altar for Baal, right? And if, if you're thinking about like a, um, a technical term that all the Bible scholars use, is called a polytheistic, which means many gods are possible. All roads lead to Rome. You don't need to follow just Jesus to get your life saved. You can worship, uh, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z. So all this same kind of mindset America has today. What America has today is the polyistic, uh, poly, polytheistic uh, principle. We are we're starting to embrace uh, this culture that was there in the King Ahab days. So don't think that this study that we are doing is like a 2,900 years old. It is happening even today in America. I'm, I'm just like a blown away by this um, incident that happened in Texas earlier this week with these uh, young children dying. And, and I know it's this huge tragedy that uh, those are young children that just got like shot and died. But you know what is common? That has been common for the last 28 mass shootings in America. The commonality, this is what we've been saying all along and nobody is listening to. And they will at one point. Every one of these 28 guys that did the mass, mass shootings like what happened in Texas grew up without fathers. Fatherlessness. And when they see this kind of like a behavior and you go to the root of this problem, that lack of respect and reverence for God. We have taken this God of this universe and we have diluted this God for the next generation. We have taken the fear of like a, how big this God is from the next generation. We have failed to tell the next generation about the, 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 the God that saved the children of Israel, the God who saved you and me, the God who's going to have the heavens and earth come down, the God who is already preparing the way for us to spend millions and millions of years. We fail to tell the next generation. Those are the two problems that America faces. America is no different than the days of Ahab. The same poly theistic kind of like a mindset that you can have any God. You can have many gods. There's many gods as possible. We'll talk about them in a minute. When we go to the end, we'll talk more about it. But the very specific God that it's talking about is the God called Baal, B-A-L. He's actually called the king of 
gods in the Canaanite system. He had a bunch of brothers, uh, but raises himself above all of them, all of those gods, and becomes the king of gods. Right? Baal is also the weather god. Baal is a god of thunderstorm. Whenever there was a thunder and rain, it showed Baal's power. If Baal is happy, he sent rain. If Baal is angry, he will not send rain. That's the belief system. The image of this god Baal, if you just like to do a Google, you will actually find that in his hand, he holds the lightning bolt. And so let's look at this verse in chapter 16 uh, of 1 Kings. Uh, if you are still in that chapter, just hold on for a little while longer, um, and then we will go to the 18 where we started. So now we see that um, in, in verse 31, it came through, came to pass as though it has been trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as wife, Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, okay, king of Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made wooden image in some Verses, uh, translation, it says Ashra pole. He, he made a pole, like a, 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 a place, uh, dedicated to Ashra. Okay, who is this Ashra? We saw Baal, who is like a weather god for storms and thunders. Who is this Ashra? Ashra is the mother goddess of Baal, right? She's the goddess of fertility. And she gave birth to 70 sons, or considered as gods, and somehow Baal became the king of all those gods. Worship of both Baal and Asherah is really upsetting to God. And, and the reason why is because there are so many things in that worship uh, that, that's just like a so disgusting and they would go into temples where there are inside the temples there were prostitutes and they would have sex with those prostitutes and those kind of things were just like a, a form of twisted worship that this god Baal and Asherah had. They never had a good morality uh, that they need to follow. They were just like, uh, like animals. But more than that, Here's what bothered God even more, which is the human sacrifice. When they did not get rain, they thought that Baal was not happy. And so they would go and sacrifice humans to satisfy Baal. And this, all these practices were just so contrast to what God was saying to his people. And the people were getting blessed. But even after getting blessed, 
they were going back to these kind of worship and forms. And the verse 33 says, uh, he did, he, like uh, uh, Ahab, did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any other king of Israel before him. What did, the, what did, the, what did bother God is this. And this is one thing that we need to take it home as well. That Ahab was going against the very first commandment that God said in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, you shall not have no other gods before me, no other gods besides me. God is very particular not to create another god besides him. And, and don't for a second think that you and I can put this king Ahab down because he was worshipping other gods or idols. Idols doesn't mean that uh, it's a physical imagery or a physical wooden thing or a physical stone that you can go and worship. There are so many forms of idols that we worship even today. We worship them as, as career, as wealth, our own pleasure. Anything that comes between us and God is an idol. And we'll talk a little bit more about them. But here's the thing. The number one reason why God was upset was because this King Ahab was creating a God for himself. Or he was taking the God from his wife's side and he was trying to do things which did not please God, right? So whatever, there is a, somebody who said, whatever is loved, feared, delighted in, or dependent on more than God has become God, we worship. Let me say this one more time. What is an idol? Idol is something that we love, Idol is something that we fearful of. Idol is something that we are delighted in or dependent on more than what the God of this universe can give. Here's the question. What is more valuable for you this morning? Who is your God? Is the money in the bank account your God or are, are the people... Uh, sometimes people that we depend on, are they your God? Sometimes even ministries like the Proverbs, Judaism can become an idol. Anything that takes away the glory of God is an idol. God will not share his glory with anyone. He will not share the throne of your heart and my heart with any other God. So with this background, let's go and read the verse, um, you know, First Kings chapter 18. And, and, and the thing is this, because, uh, oh, let's go to uh, one more verse and then we will go to 18. This is all still background. Um, first Kings chapter 17, verses 1, it says, this is the first time Elijah is getting introduced. It says, Elijah, the Tishbite, the inhabitant of Gilead, said to Ahab, Ahab the king, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, 
There shall not be a dew nor rain these days except at my word. So here's what is happening. This guy is worshipping a god named Tao, who is considered a god of lightning and thunder, and God is sending a prophet named Elijah in letting him know that there is not going to be rain in your land. So what would Ahab do? The first thing that he would do is go back to Baal. He would have had like a more sacrifices to Baal. He would have offered some humans as like that, you know, throw a couple of humans into that fire so that he can make a Baal happy. But the prophet is saying, unless my God decides to send the rain, you're not going to have a rain. And for nearly three and a half years of drought, drought that happened in this land, why is this important, Cyril, for me to learn all these details on a Sunday morning on December the 29th? Here's the thing. He started off this morning to say, if you're praying for something and you're not getting an answer, what is blocking your prayer? Why, why is your prayer not getting answered? Why am I running marathon after marathon and I still don't see the end? The first and foremost thing that God is talking to you and me this morning is this. Just like Ahab, God is asking, is there an idol in your life? Is there something that you keep that is more important than me? And God is saying that if you have an idol, like this guy Ahab had like a, a worship for Baal as an idol, if you have something else that you're worshiping this morning, how do I know, Sarah, what am I worshiping? Very simple. Look at your bank account. Look at how much you're spending money on different things. And the one that you spend the most is the one that has your heart, your heart string. You have an idol sitting there that you need to watch for. I don't know what formula that you will use, but today, after this message, or tonight, when you have a chance to pray with the Father in private, ask God if there is an idol that you're worshiping in your life. Sometimes, even Christians, well-intended Christians, we tend to have idols in our life that doesn't please God. You don't need to have a bow or something so cruel to be our idol. Even something as gentle as watching TV more than we spend time with the Lord is an idol. We'll look at the, some of the idols very soon. But here's the thing. I want to start to read. Now, I, Three years goes by, and let's fast forward to First Kings chapter 18. This time we will start from 17 and 18. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah. This is King Ahab is seeing Elijah after three and a half years of drought. He has already done whatever he can with power. And he's saying to Prophet Elijah, is that you or troubler of Israel? He was trying to blame the lack of rain upon 
Elijah, instead of looking at his own problem and trying to figure out this is the one thing I want us to leave with, which is that, you know, we have to ask God for what we are doing wrong. If there is anything that is wrong in our life that we need to correct. And later we're going to see how God has already given a path for us to get everything correct before him. And this is when Elijah answers him boldly. And he says, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed Baal. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asher, who eat at Jezebel's table. So now you've got some background behind who is Baal and who is Asherah, because Asherah is the mother goddess. She's the mom of Baal, and she had 70 children, and Baal was raised up as the king of gods at this point. So now with that background, let's go back to where we started, First Kings chapter 18. This is 20. And Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, Not a word. The very important question that Elijah asked is this. Why are you split between two? Sometimes you're hot, sometimes you're cold. When you're in between the church people, you behave really well. But when you leave other church people, and you don't have the same kind of like a language comes out of your mouth. And sometimes... Like when you're in the church, you make all kinds of decisions to follow, to study the word and read and pray and have fellowship. But when you come out and you get like sucked into this world and you don't seem to follow, why are you faltering between two opinions? And the people had no answer. And he was saying, don't play with God, right? God needs all our devotion. That's what he's saying. In fact, he's, he's saying something that we read in Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, where it says, you are neither cold nor hot. I, I, I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth, says the Lord. Right? And that's exactly what, you know, uh, Elijah is saying. Guys, get real with God. Let's do something where God can just like, a, you know, see what you're doing. And just like, a, you know, not just to be a Sunday Christian. Do something during the week. Uh, do something for the Lord. Do something for his kingdom. Right? Don't be faltering between two opinions. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left 
a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give two bulls, and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull, lay it on the wood, and put it on fire under it. Put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the Lord God who answers by fire, he is God. So, now, the thing is this. It is almost like the showdown of God. And uh, if you just like to close your eyes and imagine what was happening in Mount Carmel is this. There were like 450 prophets of Baal and 400 plus prophets of Asher. They have been eating in Jezebel's table were brought now to the mountain top, right? And there are 950 prophets on one side and there is this one prophet on this side. And these 950 prophets on the other side that are worshiping Baal and Asherah, right, they have a first chance to prove themselves. And all they were saying is like a let's cut two bulls and put on one side your side while I'll do the same thing on my side. But go ahead, do it yourself first, right? Now, everybody said, ah, well spoken. It's, it's right. Let's, let's try it. While all the people around are just still watching, the, the children of Israel are still watching. Nobody actually jumped in to help this prophet Elijah. And that's why he says, I'm all by myself. Sometimes when you are in the middle of the battle and you feel like you're all by yourself, don't ever think that you're alone in this battle. Because the God of this universe is on your side. The hundred and thousand and thousands and thousands can come on the other side. But when you stand on the truth of the Lord, you stand on the word of God, you stand on the fellowship of God, nobody can even come closer to you. The Bible says that, you know, is there anyone who's more powerful than the God who we serve. In one place, if God is for us, who can be against us? Nobody can be against you if God is for you. Right? And that's what was happening. And here, um, Eli, um, they, they chose the bowl. They, they went first. Uh, you know, they put it on their uh, plate um, in that the word and they started to pray. So verse 26 says, they took the bowl which was given to them and they prepared it and called the name of Baal from morning till noon, saying, Oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. And they leaped about the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon, that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry loud, for he is God, either 
he is meditating or he's busy or he's on a journey or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves as was their custom with knives and lances until the blood gushed out of them. And when the midway was passed, they, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. Twice this verse, this exact verse was said. No one answered. No one paid attention. Here's the thing. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, you know, pagans run after these things. Like what can we wear and what can we eat and so on. Why pagans? Because they worship God who can neither listen to your voice or hears or acts on what you're asking for. And that's exactly what Elijah is referring to here. Their gods never answer. But you and I worship a God who answers. This morning I heard Miss Lisa talk about her son in anguish, right? But here's the most beautiful thing. While she was still speaking, God of this universe has already heard her prayers. God of this universe has already has arranged for an answer for her. The Bible says so. It says when those who fear the Lord talk to each other, the Father in heaven listens and hears their conversation. Right? Here's the thing. Then Elijah, in verse 30, said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. So by this time, Jezebel must have just like a broken every altar that was offered for the Lord. And here, he is actually, um, you know, trying to rebuild this, right? He's telling the people, come near to me. So when they came near to him, the Bible doesn't say they jumped in to help. They just came near and watched what Elijah was doing. So Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel shall be your name. God was trying to unite his people, even in the midst of all these things. That's what the 12 stones is symbolizing. Then with the stone, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two sets of of seed. So he makes this big giant altar, right? Because he has to put this entire bull on top of it, right? And in fact, he creates like a trenches, like a, you know, a, a platform around it so that, uh, you know, he can put the, the meat on the top and then just leave some room for other things that he's about to do. Then the stone, uh, he built the altar and he made trenches around it and he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood and said, 
fill the four, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, do it the second time. Then they did it the second time. And he said to them, do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran around the altar. And he also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass at that time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah, the prophet, came near and said, Lord God, this is the only prayer and the most powerful prayer that Elijah offered. All of this message that I was building all along the background is definitely to talk about this prayer that Elijah is making. There are two things that Elijah is talking about here in his prayer. Let's look at them. It says, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. So that's the prayer request that he has. First, the prayer request. He says, let these people know who you are, God. What is he doing? He's not saying, I have been the prophet for you. I have done so many good things for you, and that's why you should come and pour the fire upon my sacrifice. No, that's not what he's saying. He's turning the attributes towards the God's faithfulness. He's turning to the, the mightiness of God. He's turning over the control into the hands of God. The next time when you run into a tough situation, you, you run into a problem that you have no answer for, the place that you need to go is the closet where you can speak to your father. And you have to bring out his name into the picture. Hallowed be thy name. We need to bring the attributes of God into the picture that we are dealing with. If you are expecting a fire to come down from heaven, don't ever use your credibility or credentials when you're going before God to say, oh, I started a prison ministry. I'm just like a this many kids to see their mom or dad. No, none of those things matter. When you and I are in a tough situation, we need to go before the God and hallowed be thy name. We have to ask God to show his power, show his magnificence, Show his mightiness into the situation that we are in. If the fire has to come down, it has to come down from the Father, not from our efforts. Don't ask how God is going to solve your problem. Ask God to show up in your problem, and he will know what to do and how to do it. A lot of times when we are praying, we are asking God to take us out of the situation. It's almost like we want God to come and open the door so he can take us out from here. But instead, what Elijah is saying is that, God, I am here and I need you to be with me right now. God, you need to show your power. It's almost like 
there is a gate that has been already locked and you're inside that stronghold and you're asking God to be inside with you right now to fight this stronghold that is against you. God is saying, if you want an answer for your problem, don't ask yourself to get out of this problem or show your credibility or credentials before me. But instead, just like, you know, Elijah, we need to ask God to show himself before the people. The second thing that he says, hear me, Lord, hear my prayer, that this people may know that you are the Lord and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. The second part of Elijah's prayer is very simple. He's saying, God, I want you to do this not because I want to be made known to these people as someone magnificent. God, I just, you know, asking you to do this because I want you to turn these people's heart towards you. Why? Because these guys came, when I told them to come near me, they came near to me. But they never put their hands on the plow to build an altar. They are so scared of this king. They're, they're worshipping the calf. They're worshipping the bows. Their life is, their, their sexual immorality is at its, their peak. They're, they're worshipping a God who is taking human sacrifices. God, this is a time, this is a moment, Father God, Show up in my life so these people can turn their hearts towards you. This morning, that's the prayer that God is asking for you and me. We can, we can talk all about what happened in Texas and, you know, all these other places. But what shall we do right now is to ask God to turn the hearts of these people towards him. Because if we don't turn our hearts towards him, there is going to be another one of those incidents happening in some part of this nation. They have, you know, we as a nation have kept the God of this universe so far away from us. Very few of us are in the middle agreeing to worship the Lord of this universe. Tomorrow, when you get out of your home, go to work or someplace that you're going, know this for sure. These are two prayer requests. Number one, we need God's name to be glorified in our life and in our situation. We need God to show up in our situation. And number two, we need God to show up so that the people around to know and turn their hearts towards this God. People said September 12th, not September 11th, September 12th was one of the beautiful days this nation has faced. People have put their differences behind. They all went to, to, the, to the God of this universe. They went to churches. They went to serve. They were trying to do without seeing the color or the race. They just like did things together in oneness of their heart. 
They were, their hearts were turned towards God. And once that is gone, it will be a long, far-gone memory. Even now, that incidents in Texas, what has happened, will be vanished from our minds next week, and the next month comes by, and next year comes by. It will be gone from our minds. Why? Because, you know, we have such a short-term memory. We have to use, when we are in the trenches, to ask God to show up in this situation and ask God to turn their hearts towards her. And that's all was the prayer. It wasn't a long prayer. It wasn't anything bigger that he was asking for. God, show up and then turn the hearts. How many people are lost in this world? I need to hear that. Verse 38 says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked the water that was in the trench. And now when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. I want to end today in this place so we can actually come back to this. This is not going to be a one-week sermon. It has to go through more. I've written a lot more about this sermon, and I'm going to come back to it. But here's what I want you to walk away this morning with. The days that we are living in right now, you know, even though these are days like the days of Ahab, know this for sure. God is raising Elijah's in this world right now. God is raising Moses's right now. God is raising Daniel's. God is raising Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego now. God is raising the giant-style leaders in this nation so that he can show himself with power, might, and magnificence. And he is the God who's going to turn the hearts of these men and women in this nation towards him. And you and I are the Elijahs and the Abrahams and the Josephs and the Jacobs and the, and the um, you know, Daniels and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Samson. You and I are the, the Gibeons of this world. God is saying to you and me, pray exactly the same prayer that Elijah prayed. And you will see the fire come down from heaven. You will see the life getting changed. This nation needs healing right now. All those moms who lost their children's life in Texas need healing. All those people across this nation that are broken because of their political belief system needs healing. All those people in this nation that are divided over color needs healing. All those people in this nation that are 
double-minded right now between God and uh, and um, and the so-called gods with a small g needs healing. And God says, it's not going to happen unless you, the Elijah of this day, would get on your knees and ask me to show up in your life, in your city, in your home, in your nation. You have the power to bring the presence of the Holy God down right now to be magnified in the city. In order for that to happen, we need to first believe strongly in ourselves. We need to bring, we need to have the same strong, uncompromising belief about the God of this universe in ourselves first, then to our children, then to our neighbors, then to our cities, and then to our nation. This nation will turn themselves before God. As we celebrate the Memorial Day, the hundreds and thousands and thousands of lives that are being lost in this nation for the peace of this nation, we're, we're offered as sacrifices in the, in the field, in the, in the war zone. I remember this morning, and this morning, the same time, God is reminding you and me that uh, all those lives uh, that has been lost for this nation is still alive and still working and still wants to glorify and honor God. And the next generation needs to hear that. And God is saying, you want the fire come down? Let's go to the closet. You want to see God magnified and lifted up in this place? Let's go to the closet and ask God to show himself today in our lives first, and then in our families, then in our cities. Praise the Lord. Today morning, we don't have Miss Katina, so I'm just going to run next to our communion prayer. And this is a time that we take God's Supper. Remember God's Supper uh, in this morning. Uh, as I go into reading the word, I just want you to pray for a moment and ask God. There's so many things that I talked about this morning. Ask God to see if there is an idol in your life where you're worshiping that idol more than God. Ask God the areas in your life where you're double-minded and you're opinionated that you're not you know, fully convinced in your mind. God is saying, turn towards me, turn your hearts towards me. And this morning, I do not know what you're crying for. God is saying, I'm still the same God who sent the fire for Elijah. I'm the God who shut the mouth of the lions. I'm the God who turned the heated furnace into cold. I'm the God who split the Red Sea. I'm the God who crumpled the walls of Jericho. I'm the God who was with Samson. I'm the God who just like took the children of Israel out of 
Egypt. I'm the God who fed them for 40 years in the wilderness. I'm the God who protected them against all their enemies. I'm the God who fed them for 40 years in the wilderness. I'm the God who can make a way when there is no way. I'm the El Shaddai. I'm the Elohim. I'm the Almighty God. And I can do things nobody can. Just as Isaiah says, no eyes have seen, no ears have heard, a God besides you who acts for those who wait on him. This God of this universe is saying, I'm ready to act on your behalf. I do not know what you carried this morning into this morning meditation, but God is saying, I am ready, willing to act on your behalf. Those who wait on the Lord is all God is asking for. As we go into prayer, before we even go into the Lord's Supper, I want you to put your hand, your right hand, over where your heart is. Father God, I just pray right now, just as the word says, that you are the God who passes your kingdom's righteousness through our hands. Father God, I just pray right now that you will pass on your righteousness into our heart right now. Father God, I just pray and agree with my brothers and sisters right now that you will, Father God, will bless our heart first. Heal our heart, Father God. Turn away. Father God, anything that bothers that heart this morning, because the Bible says you will guard our hearts. God, I just pray that you will guard our hearts this week. God, against all the schemes of this enemy. God, I just pray right now, if there is any heaviness in that heart, Father God, as we are praying right now, in the name of Jesus and in the blood of Jesus, that you will lighten all of our hearts and that we will be healed this morning completely in our hearts first, then our minds. We surrender into your mighty hands, Lord. The communion prayer. Lord Jesus, we bow before you in humility and ask you to examine our hearts today. Show us anything that is not pleasing to you. Reveal any secret pride, any unconfessed sin, any rebellion or unforgiveness that may be hindering our relationship with you. We know that we are your beloved children, having received you in our hearts and lives and having accepted your death as a penalty for our sinfulness. The price you paid, Father, on that rugged cross, covers us for all time, and our desire is to live for you. As we take the bread representing your life that was broken for us, we remember and celebrate your faithfulness to us and to all who receive you. Thank you, Father, for your extravagant love and unmerited favor. Thank you that your death gave us life, abundant life now, and eternal life forever. We receive this bread in remembrance of you. Let's take the bread.
and in the same way, we take this cup representing your blood poured out from a splendid cross. You are the supreme sacrifice for all of our sins, past, present, and future. Let's drink this cup of God's remembrance as we celebrate this morning what he did on the rugged cross. Today, today we remember and celebrate the precious gift of life you gave us through your blood you spilled from the rugged cross. Father, we surrender everything that we have today into your mighty hands, Lord. We surrender our life. We surrender our family, our family members. Father God, we surrender everything that comes out of our hands and our minds into your hands, God. If there is a, anything that you want us to do right now, Father God, that is to just like a hallowed be your name. Let it be narrowed down, Father God, to you and your name this morning. And I just pray that your blessing be upon us and your presence go before us. In Jesus' name I pray, Father, for your glory. Amen. The conference has been unmuted. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Everyone have an amazing week this week. More to come on God's fire falling upon our prayer life. And that God will just like revive us one more time. And as I was saying this week, I mean today morning, if you don't have a